Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. This is Randy Davis with Faith in Your Recovery. Welcome to the battle. We're glad you've joined us today. We've got a special guest I'll introduce you in just a moment. But before I do, a couple of words about this time of year, this season. I'll sum it up. Merry Christmas. God bless. Uh, Search for that manger, find it in your own life, and celebrate that child who became the man who made the difference for us all by his love, his goodness, and grace. And I'm sure that uh, our guest, Vernon, is going to share some of that with us one way or the other here in just a little bit. Vernon Heinemann, welcome, sir. Thank you, Randy. I'm so excited to be with you. Well, it's good to have you. I understand you live over the Pennsylvania way, yes? Yes, I sure do. Uh, Central Pennsylvania, uh, about midpoint between uh, Philly and Pittsburgh, Harrisburg oh. area. All right. Have you been in quite some time? About 20 years. Um, I, I was born American, but grew up in northern Ontario. And uh, and then my wife and I moved to Dallas, Texas. We lived in Texas. All the kids are born in Texas and 20 years here in Central Pennsylvania. All right. Well, welcome to us. We're here in pretty much East Central Indiana is where we're located, okay? Especially yeah. where I live, about 45 minutes from here. We're actually uh, doing the program from Anderson, Indiana in Madison County. I live over in awesome. Jay County, and uh, we're just doing this together, making things happen, trying to touch change and save people's lives. And I'm sure you're about that very same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's jump on this. As I told you before, we're about all things recovery. So yes. give us a little of your professional background in and out of you know the the recovery effort. Tell us what life's been about for you and then we'll get into greater specifics. Sure. Well, I, I didn't learn a thing till I was forty. Um, I'm, I'm 61 now. I didn't learn it. I didn't learn a thing until I was 40. I, um, I grew up, I was a bright kid, um, uh, dealt with addictions my, my whole growing up. And I, I wouldn't have known to call it that. Um, uh, so I became my first career. I was a biomedical engineer. I worked, um, in, in the, the final gig in uh, biomedical engineering was at University of Texas Southwest Medical School. I worked in anesthesia research. We were studying the autonomic nervous system, the vaguely mediated autonomic, autonomic nervous system. So basically, interestingly, all these years later, uh, what a lot of the trauma work is centered on, um, PTSD and some of the trauma work that people are, that um, people like uh, Dr. Porges and Bezel um, van der Kolk have popularized. Um, so I did that for a while. We, were, as biomedical engineers, we were on the internet before the internet. Um, we were on the internet before the browser was invented, and um, around the time, so this late '80s, uh, early '90s, um, they, uh, Ronald Reagan uh, canceled the Super Collider, which was like the Hadron Super Collider in, in, uh, in Switzerland, 
they were building one in, uh, outside Dallas in Waco, and they canceled it. So at about the time the internet, the browser was invented, a a, a literal ton of um, highly internet savvy scientists all got fired. <laughs> they all moved to Dallas. So we had a hotbed of internet activity that I rode like a wave um, up to about the year 2000, sold my company into a dot-com, moved to central Pennsylvania to be uh, the um, CIO of a dot-com uh, medical data mining company. Uh, that went, uh, to say that didn't go well is to say that Titanic was an awkward boat wreck. <laughs> it, was, it was a train wreck. And... Um, there was an odd thing that happened at that time. I um, I, I crash landed. I, I recognized I was exhausted. Um, I had made a ton of money, um, and I was exhausted. I couldn't I, I couldn't see doing it again. I had basically the wheels had come off most of my life in every direction, and wealth was not fixing it. And so I I, I got to Central Pennsylvania. The job thing really did not work out. And um, I got a, I would, the previous company uh, 1099 me for 600 grand. So the IRS was looking for their 300 and I didn't have it. They were pretty sure I had it squirreled away in the Caymans or something. And I just didn't have it. It took five years to work that out. But during that time uh, working, they're just going to take the money. So I busied myself going into the local prison with a heroin addict and um, it was our. It was my intention to share my incredible wisdom with them, uh, which I had none. Uh, literally, every single thing I thought about addiction would get people killed. Let's uh, back up just a moment here. Okay? Sure. You said you went in there with a uh, with a heroin addict, correct? Yes. Yes. So recovering heroin addict. Were you going thinking that you were going? to learn from this individual or you were going to teach him? Oh, dude, I was so arrogant. Oh, no, 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 no. I no. think there was no learning. question. No learning going to go on here. You know, so it, uh, wealth is uh, wealth is um, self-gratifying and self-perpetuating. So basically, since I'm wealthy and you're not, who's the smarter guy here? Got right? It, so yeah. that's what I'm going in with is arrogance. This I hear the attitude. Yes, yes. Very arrogant attitude. The guy that I went, went in with, he's, he's passed now. His name's um, Ness Reinert. Ness was instrumental in getting Paul McCartney knighted. He, ah. he got two, 200,000 signatures uh, out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And a year later, it happened. And, and that is literally for, for the heroin addicts that I know, that is – that is such a great metaphor because extraordinarily talented people, extraordinarily talented people often with, uh, with uh, this thing that will kill them. And um, I went into jail. I, I spent a few years there and literally everything that I know that matters came from what I learned in that time period. Uh, I'm a fourth generation pastor. Um, I didn't know squat until until I got there. And and they taught me everything I know that matters. I so have another was, mentor. Your seminary was behind bars, basically. It was. At least your learning seminary, maybe not. It was. You're required, but that is where, where spiritual education and experience Dude. collided. It was it was uh, it was my transfiguration. 
It gotcha. was my learning. It was my becoming a new human being. I, I needed to know how that happened. Like in the in the past, my parents would say, give it to Jesus. And I'd be like, what, should I wrap it? Like, what, is, what do those words mean? They mean those words mean nothing to me. Um, and and the metaphors that I that I found uh, by mining the wisdom of recovery in that. Um, I have another a friend, a mentor, uh, Tony Palm. Tony was a Navy deep sea diver, kind of instrumental with uh, Brashear, the guy that um, the the men of honor. He was actually in, probably introduced the people that produced that movie. Um, Tony interpreted a lot of stuff for me. Um, He's he'd spent a lot of time in recovery, and so he was able to interpret it. Uh, very, very helpful. Uh, one time I was standing outside a restaurant, and I was in marital therapy, and I'm like, I'm going to go to this therapy, and they're going to make me sound my – my wife's going to manipulate, and she's going to make me sound like it's like I'm the problem. And I hear this long silence, and Tony says, Vern, you're a manipulator. You're just irritated she's better at it than you. <laughs> <laughs> It was perfect. Uh, there's no way he's going to come back on that. There's no answer to that. And he was so right. He was so right. So everything I know that matters came from that time. In fact, I, I, I did some uh, education, subsequently did some education. I did a master's in entrepreneurial ministry, and I did a doctorate in semiotics under both actually under Leonard Sweet, who's a friend of mine, who's a theologian. Um, and yes, a kind of I'm well friend. aware of him. Len is, uh, uh, we worked on a book together. It was called Nudge. Um, some of my stories are in that book. And um, and then I went to school with him. So I, I got a doctorate, a demon in semiotics, which is metaphor. So during that time, other than the idea that I think you called it transfiguration, yours, is that, yes. Was, yes. Was that the word you yes. used? Okay. Yes. During that transfiguration, what was the biggest smack in the face or uh, poke at the heart for you? What was oh. it that hit you the hardest? Well, life was sitting on my chest at that point, so it was all pretty, pretty much hitting me pretty hard. But what? So leading up to this, I, I was putting all my uh, my my. Most addictive process at that point was work and wealth, the power. I was addicted to power. And, um, but I had, so we, we had, um, I had four children and one of my kids, uh, Caitlin uh, is now 28. She's special needs. She has a, a noxic brain injury. She had a, a seizure disorder for a decade and she would, we'd be eating dinner and she would seize and we'd be doing CPR on the kitchen table regularly, lots of helicopter rides. Um, my wife is a trauma nurse. A at this point, a doctor. We prepared trauma nurse, and and she, Caitlin would not have survived except for uh, Shelley's interventions. But so we had one axis of horrific trauma in in parenting um, a special needs child, and then we had some our own um, unresolved uh, family of origin traumas that we didn't really understand and couldn't put in put a, a frame around. So, so when it hit me, we're we're talking. Um, significant unresolved trauma in both directions from our families, uh, a significant ongoing trauma of, of horrible health. And then I find myself in central Pennsylvania. They really can't even spell what I do here. And, and I can't, and, and, and the IRS is looking for six for $300,000 I don't have. And so I'm sit so, so I'm sitting in that. And I guess the most 
significant there there are two really significant pieces that I got from that time and and, and, and I've actually used them in my doctoral work at this point and they be they're they're fundamental pieces i um I did not understand that control was a bad thing. You know, we talk about self-control, can't be bad. What, what could be bad about self-control? Well, control is the desire to have an outcome regardless of how you got to get it. Every addiction okay. is in control, right? Every addiction, I got this pain, I can't describe it, but if I take this pill, it goes away. Um, every addiction is predicated on on control over over pain. And so control is this bad thing. So I, on one axis, I have control. I'm going to get this outcome. I, I'm going to have well-behaved kids if I have to kill them to get it. And um, and and I needed a visual metaphor for that. So I, I used a, a vice and a hammer. I put my kid in the vice and I hammer him into shape. He might be dead, but at least he's the right shape. You know, that's a control. Very bad, 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 bad scenario. At the opposite of control is resignation. When you have tried to control your life, so often and so many times and your heart is broken and you can't do it. The opposite of that is the flip side of control is resignation. It says, I'm taking my marbles. I'm going home. I'm not playing this stupid game anymore. I'm not participating. So resignation is I quit. I'm not, I'm not participating. Is it, and it, is resignation quite submission or surrender? Are we there no, yet? No, no, no. We're getting there. Okay. Resig okay. Resignation is a form of control. It says, since I can't control it, my last act to control is I'm quitting. <laughs> gotcha. And, and I needed a visual metaphor for that. And I, I was thinking footsteps going out the door, but sometimes leaving is the right answer. It had to be a metaphor that was never, ever, ever the right answer. And I found it finally. It took a long time. It's a noose. So I put a noose on there, and it was disturbing. It, every time I looked at it, I was disturbed by it. I thought, I'm going to have to find another metaphor. That's just, that's just disturbing. And over a period of time, I thought, you know, it should be disturbing. It's death, be. You know, It is. Resignation is disturbing. So I left it. In between resignation and control is an irresolvable tension called surrender. Surrender is... Um, staying in the tension, wanting to control it, but choosing not to, wanting to give up, but choosing not to, and staying in the tension and doing the next right thing God has for you to do, even if you don't know the outcome. That's the trick. Doing, staying in it. And so it's taking it, it, another theoretical way of saying it is your, your, our personal agency as humans. It's aligning your agency with your understanding where God wants you to be and taking the next step, not knowing how it's going to turn out. And that is the key. Uh, I could, I needed to, I could not differentiate until that happened. When people told me to surrender, I thought they were telling me to resign. And I did not know. So here's the difference. Well, I didn't know, and a life-changing difference. Resignation is deadness. There is no tension. I believe that as a Christian, as a follower of God, as someone who trusts the higher power, I thought that if you're doing it right, the tension should resolve, which is the exact opposite of the truth. If the tension's resolved, you're either in control or resignation. So uh, 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 um a violin with no tension does not play music. Uh, uh, an archer's bow with no tension is a stick and a string. Attention is not categorically bad. So the, one of these literally 
head explode things is when I realized a few things. First of all, that if I'm doing it right, I should be in tension. Not negative tension, but tension. And secondly, the control is a bad thing. I'm not talking self-control. I'm not saying you should not have self-control. I'm saying as a primary motivator, if the only thing that's keeping your sobriety is your self-control, it's not going to last because it's based on your strength. And, and this idea that you stay in the tension and you do the next right thing God has for you in control you can only go as far as you can ever imagine. You can never go past what you can imagine because you're aiming where you aim, you hit. And if you're in control, you're aiming at what you know. You have to know it to shoot at it. Whereas so, with, with, with God, if you don't know, if you'll take a step and you don't know the outcome, God can take you to a place you would never have imagined. Let me, let me throw this in there. Where you're, you're flirting around with what it talks about in Hebrews as the definition for faith. Uh, yes. Or Abraham going and not knowing kind of thing. So how does that roll into all of this, Vernon? Well, the first the first part is you have to believe that you're loved. You can't trust something you don't love. So going to scripture, it says love casts out fear. What does that mean? If I had a coffee cup if, and it was got, and I want to get all the air out of the coffee cup. I can suck a vacuum on it, but it will destroy the cup. And eventually, the vacuum is going to leak. I'm going to get air back in there. The way you get the air out of a coffee cup is you fill it with coffee. And once you've filled it with coffee, the, the coffee displaces the air. It's not coming back. So if you think about it, coffee is somethingness, and air is kind of nothingness. And when somethingness meets nothingness, something displaces nothingness. So when, when scripture says love casts out fear, love is somethingness and fear is nothingness. And when fear, when love meets fear, love displaces fear because fear is, you know, there's less there. There's, so it's, it's nothingness. There's displacement by the replacement. Yes. Respect. Yes. So within recovery, they say thinking about not drinking is thinking about drinking, right? You're orienting yourself. So, so if you think about not drinking, if you try to not think about a pink elephant, all you're thinking about is a pink elephant. If, if you try to not think about drinking, you're oriented to drinking. You're still oriented in the wrong way. So the way you find recovery, if you think about the 12-step of recovery, how many of them are about your drug of choice? Like <laughs> they mention it in the first step, kind of. The rest of it is everything else. You know, it's it's counterintuitive the way. So one, one of the other things we don't do in recovery, we don't we don't give the big book to somebody and say, hey, go memorize this book. Come back when you're done. Because recovery doesn't work that way. Recovery is done in community and it's the love of community that displaces the pain that we're trying to ameliorate with the with the drug of choice. It's, it's always in community. <sighs> If you were going to put together a step program, I'm not talking about AA or anything sure. of that nature, and I'm certainly not talking against them. Sure. Would you make this this replacement thing you're talking about, would it be one of those steps that you've got to reach that point before you can get to recovery? You've got to let love cast out beer. You've got to get that yes. stinking thinking replaced with some sort of healthy uh, thoughts. Yes, yes. So the first act of repentance in my mind 
the very first act of repentance, when we come to follow Jesus, you know, the very first act of repentance is repenting and admitting that we've always been loved. Every sin is an illegitimate way to fix a legitimate need. And we are busy fixing our legitimate needs with all these illegitimate ways. And the first act is to say, oh, Jesus, you're not, a conf- you're, you're, you're not here to control me. You're here to love me. I accept you as, as my beloved father. I, I accept you as my beloved mother. I accept you as the person who most cares for me. That's the very first step. If you can't get past that, if you can't release yourself to a higher power, you know, I, I would be in jail in this, you know, he's some kind of smart aleck. And the guy would say, you know, that, that ashtray is my higher power. And he'd expect me to, you know, lose it. And I would say, oh, that's awesome. That is such an improvement because your last higher power got you in jail. And so that ashtray is a significant improvement over your last higher power. But that ashtray is an inanimate object. And what your higher power is, is what you aspire to. So at this moment, you're aspiring to inanimacy, which is an improvement. But when you're done with that, I'm going to introduce you to someone who loves you very much. And there is no limit. When when you surrender, Jesus says, uh, become my slave so I can set you free. <laughs> you know, it's it's it's. It, it, it's incomprehensible. You say, what, what, slave free? What, like, which is it? And, and, you know, Jesus says, one, one of the, one of the, the metaphors is my yoke is easy. Well, we're not, we're not, we're not farmers. So we don't get that metaphor. So, but a yoke is this device that holds two oxen, at least usually two. And they, it, they pull together. So they're pulling a plow or whatever together. And so what Jesus is saying is hop in next to me. I'll do all the work. Just put your head in there. Let me do the work, you know. And and so the part of recovery, if you're going to find recovery, one of the, the first step is your love. Second step is you're not going to fix this. <laughs> your best efforts got you to today, and that and that that's not a good place to be right now. So um, you are where you are, and we're gonna we're gonna trust that your higher power, God, J- Jesus loves you, and you can trust His next step for you, whatever that might be. So we always, so we're, we're going down a list of what we want to correct. We're going to fix ourselves and fixing ourselves is like trying to, is like trying to struggle at a quicksand. The more you struggle, the deeper you go. So the first couple of steps, I don't care. Like the, the 12 step recovery program is a direct, a direct use borrowing of, of, of the transfiguring power of Jesus. Yes. If you read scripture, basically what they're saying, everything you do in recovery is what scripture leads us into. You're not going to fix yourself. You know, if you think about the the, the Genesis story, um, the, the third chapter of Genesis, uh, God is, you know, it's the first implication of the Trinity. God is either talking to himself or amongst himself, right? He says, man is eaten of the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if he also eats of the tree of life, he'll, he, he won't be able to die in his sin. So they, God kicked us out of the garden as an act of protection for us to make a subsequent error. So in the garden, we had sustaining relationships. And and we chose knowledge over sustaining relationship. And the way back, according to Jesus, is 
sustaining relationship. <laughs> we're saved not by our knowledge. We're saved by our sustaining relationship to Jesus. Well, it's and for certain, as you've alluded to and said in so many different ways, I'd like one of the statements Dr. Phil would always make was, how's that working for you? <laughs> and, and we've seen how it is. Oh, man. Uh, that's why oh, I'm behind yeah. these bars. That's why I've been here three times. Yes. That's why yes. I'm struggling from the inside out. Yes. That's all I've got to get nowhere because I'm trying yes. to fix myself. Yes. So when somebody was leaving prison, if they said, okay, I know what I did to get here. So here's my plan not to do that again. I'd be like, okay, dude, I'm just telling you right now, you got about two weeks. I'm going to see you back here in two weeks. But if a guy came to me and he said, oh, I got a pretty good idea why I'm here. Uh, and I'm not sure how I'm going to avoid coming back here. But I'm going to gather myself around some good people. I'm going to go to these meetings. I'm going to care for myself. I'm going to trust that Jesus has this for me. And I'll try it one day at a time. And I hope not to come back here. I tell you, I'll probably, probably never see you again. Yeah, <laughs> like, earlier, you not mentioned here. the word community. And that's yes. what it's about. Uh, we're going to go with those that we go with. Uh, we're going to move yes. in that direction, be it in an yes. upward way or a downward spiral. Yes. That, yes. Uh, you know, we're a reflection of who we're with and around and associating yes. with. And, uh, yes. And that works spiritually as well. Uh, if, if we're around Christ through his word, through prayer, through commitment, so many yes. different ways, yes. we become more like him. Yes, and and Jesus says, "You are my you are my bride. You're the the you're the body." He recognizes that the church is a body, you know, not not an organization. I love um, Jesus confronts the woman at the well, you know, yes. and and uh, she's ashamed. She she is perceived to be a woman of ill repute in her in her estimation, and so she tries to start an argument. She goes, we, we Samaritans worship on the mountain. You guys in the temple, which one's right? It's like asking, is it right to be a conservator or a liberal? There is no right answer, right? We're going to have a, it causes an argument. She's expecting an argument. And Jesus says, oh, actually, very soon, neither. It's going to be inside you. So he moves the church to be inside her. And, and I always thought he did a magic trick. I always thought, oh, Jesus told her these things he couldn't possibly have known. And therefore, she believed and told the rest of her village. And I've come to know, I'm absolutely convinced that that isn't what happened. I'm absolutely convinced. She believes she's, she's a number of husbands and her current husband she's not married to. And, and she has been convinced by her culture and her village that she's the problem. And what I believe Jesus did is Jesus told her her own story where she wasn't the problem. He said, you know, you, you, you got a bunch of husbands, but you didn't abandon them. They abandoned you. And we believe that she was an extraordinarily beautiful woman and that she was infertile. And so the first guy marries her. And, you know, that, you know, basically at that point, kids are your 401k, couldn't build a yes. 401k with her. So the second guy comes along and thinks, oh, that guy must be shooting blanks. I'm going to try again. And he couldn't. And, you know, a number of guys in, no, everybody finally realizes, you know, nobody can get this. Nobody can make a 401k with this lady. And so the final one says, well, I'll keep you around for obvious reasons. 
but I ain't marrying you. And Jesus told her her own story through the eyes of grace. And when she heard her own story through the eyes of grace, she went and said, look what he did to me. I'm new. I'm different. And they were converted because they said, if Jesus can convert her, if she can be a new human being and look at her, she is, then I too can be a new human being. It's, it's a beautiful recovery metaphor. Uh, it, 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 it we think the problem, we think the problem's drinking. The problem's never drinking. Drinking's the solution, ain't the problem, right? The problem is our drug of choice. The problem is our bad behavior. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, no. That's, the grass grows greener over the septic tank, right? So he's saying, just because the grass is greener doesn't mean that's a problem. The, the problem's underneath that. Could we, could we look underneath that? So Jesus says to her, there's a problem here. But the only way you're going to find your way around that problem is to trust me. I'll love you. I care for you. And he does. And it changes her life. And then it changes her whole village. The first two uh, evangelists were women. She was the second. And uh, we talk about women in ministry. Well, there you have it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty clear. All right. I there's no argument here. Uh Everything I'm hearing you say right now with the story of the woman at the well is, I think you've already said it, it's a metaphor for addiction. It yes. tells that story. Uh, Jesus knows our story, and he yes. knows how to get us out of it and above it. Uh, culture wants to blame it on things that we can fix those and still not going to change our situation. No. no. It doesn't mean there's not good advice out there, but there's a lot of not so good advice that <laughs> we're just spinning our wheels by listening. And so I am convinced that it's through him that that transformation, transfiguration, and a lot of other Asians come about that uh, that bring us to the top as, as yeah. he would have us to. Lynn Sweet broke me of using the word transfigured. There's nothing wrong with the word. But he said you can be transfigured into a real jerk. Like yes. you can be transfigured. But can if you're naked. You trans I said that backwards. <laughs> when you're transfigured, there's a direction involved. You're becoming, you know, Jesus came incarnate. He came as a human, the most fully human, second Adam, the most fully human. And we, you can be transformed into real jerk. But if you're transfigured, the implication is you're becoming like Jesus. And um, one of the reasons why the, the Alcoholics Anonymous, why, why recovery movement uses the higher power in my mind, one of the reasons is because um, if the church has been showing Jesus as a moralist and not a transfiguring person. So a famous guy once said, um, uh, he said, Jesus came not to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. And, and if you think about the recovery movement, it makes dead people alive. When you go to a recovery meeting, it's one of the most alive things you'll experience. These people are real. There are no, no masks involved. Nobody's trying to pr pretend. That's what I love about it. And uh, the church hasn't gotten there yet, okay? I think there's more falsifying, uh, more 
whatever in the church than ever in a recovery meeting as as far as the but, outspokenness and the rawness. Yeah, but but if you believe that you have to fix it and moralism is the answer, then you're going to do that. Sure. The reason recovery works is everybody knows it hasn't worked. It just they're beyond trying at that point. They're like, okay, I don't want to give up, but what else is there? And then we say, oh, Jesus, there is this thing. But it's not a theoretical Jesus. Jesus invites us. We are indwelled by the Spirit. And, and, and so he invites us to be the hands and feet of Jesus today. And so in, in, our, in our working with people, if you try to shame somebody into better behavior, it's, so if you think about an Angora sweater, you get a little jam on an Angora sweater. If you put a, you can use a rag and try and get it, but it'll grind it in and be part of the DNA of the sweater. The way you get jam off a, a Angora sweater is you flick it off with a knife. You know, yeah. so this idea, don't grind it in, shame grinds it in, Jesus flicks it off. Who you are and the situation you are in are different. They're not the same. Your identity is protected in Jesus. Your situation might vary. Exactly. Exactly. And I like the idea of that being protected in Jesus. So, uh, yes. Yeah, we're at a good place in that. So, what, what's the advice you'd give to the church right now? As far as all of this recovery we're talking about and all that goes with it, What's the advice you'd give to the church to where we can be healthier in the way we help those who are struggling with addiction? Yes. Um, well, the first thing is um, start bottom up, not top down. Uh, uh, reject the corporate, uh, the, 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 you know, we, they, they had the military industrial complex. Now we have the church industrial complex, right? We have these CEO pastors and it's all top down and there's this structure and everybody's everybody realizes about money and whatever the bottom up church is fertile it says i will i like a recovery meeting what in my experience and what in the love of my life can can i produce for you that will that you can root in that that it, that your roots can pull um so it's a bottom up pastors should be at the bottom coming up from bottom and and um, it's like parenting. If you do top-down parenting, uh, you, you have to put pressure. There's there's authority and pressure that you have to use. Bottom-up parenting is parenting within boundaries. So you have these boundaries, but you give freedom within boundaries. And so you cause your kids to learn to self-regulate. So and give us, give us an example of bottom-up pastoring, please. Okay. So... I'm going to make it, a, it to, to um, we'll make it about kids first and then I'll do the pastoring. It's a little easier. Okay. 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 My kid, if, if you want your kid, if you want to force your kid into doing something, you want him, you want him well-behaved, you want him to do. So if you're top down, it's like a syringe. The syringe has these walls and a plunger. You're the plunger and the kid's in the walls. And if there's a leak anywhere, the kid gets out. You, so you have to make sure there's no leaks if you're going to put pressure on your kid, but it's all pressure related. And the problem with that, first of all, you get your kid, it's easy. You get your kid to do what you want. But the problem is you're the regulation. 
And so what happens is you put pressure. You want your kid to do his, his homework. You push, put enough pressure. You constrain him. He can't leave the house. You push down on him. He's got to do the homework, and he gets it done. But the problem is when you're not around, he's not self-regulated. The kid's not self-regulated. So you're getting an outcome, but you're not producing self-regulation in the child. And I'm not talking about a two-year-old. I'm talking about a 10-year-old. What we of do course. with a two-year-old is different with a 10-year-old or a 12 or 14-year-old. So a bottom-up parenting is uh, – bottom-up parenting says, hey, we, we've got we, to get this homework done. Let me join you in this, and over the next couple of hours, let's make sure that we have it done. What, you know, what can we do together to make this happen? What resources do you need from me? So with my kids, I thought – I did this with my kids, and I was really worried about I thought if, I do, if I'm wrong, my kids would be axe murderers. But I um, – I took my kids. I found out that if you, if our kids are puking, uh, we hold their hairs and let them puke, unless they're puking emotionally, because that comes out as bad words and bad attitudes. And if they're puking emotionally, we make them swallow it. You're gonna you're gonna swallow those words right now. And I found out that if you swallow anger, if you swallow anger, it either becomes addiction or depression or both. There's no other options. So Makes I realized sense. getting. Getting anger out for my kids was really important. So I, what I would do after their bedtime, probably 10, 11 o'clock at night, once a week, I would take them to the diner. And we walked in the diner, even when they were three or four years old up until they were, I said, once we're in the diner, we're peers. You can say whatever you want to say to me using whatever language you want to use, and nothing you ever say in the diner will produce punishment or a negative outcome for you. So... And I would tell him, you know, if you tell me I am the worst blickety-blick dad in the world, my only response is going to be, could you be more specific? Because I don't want to be the worst dad. Could you tell me what it is? What is it that, that makes me the worst? Because I want to be the best dad I can be. And and after a couple of hours, we would leave the diner and walking out of the diner and say, hey, I'm going to be, I, I'm back to dad again. When we're out of the diner. Uh, you need an authority figure. You need somebody who protects you. You don't need another buddy. So I'll be your dad when we're out here. But I just want you to know anytime you want to come to the diner, you can come here. I'm going to lower the pressure and we can have a conversation about whatever. I did that when my kids were small. And, and even to this day, they're in their 30s. They still come to the diner with me if they got to talk to dad. And their friends all come and talk to me. Right. So I, that's just this the last verbal week. safe place. Uh, it is that low pressure, I, low pressure. Okay. Okay. I think that's a great suggestion. Never thought oh, of it. Oh, by the way, the diner is church, just so you know. Yes. I am church. Yes. I am church. They are church. We go to the diner for church. Church is when we are in, in, in community and Christ is in us. That's church. So the, it's, not a, it's not a place we go. It's a place we are. Exactly. And someone we become. Yes, uh, yeah, you know, it's already and not yet, right? Oh, you're already. Uh, yeah. my, my friend John Lynch has a wonderful metaphor for that. He says, uh, uh, um, he says a, a caterpillar is DNA-wise identical to a butterfly. It only has to mature into what's already true of it. Okay, I like that. Uh, that Isn't thought, that, that picture, I can see that monarch transforming. Okay, Dude. and that's Dude. what we want for our children. Yes, yes. That healthy transformation spiritually, uh, mentally, physically. Yes. Anything yes. and everything. Yeah. So good. So let's 
What else right now, before we go to the idea of the bottom-up pastoring, okay? What yeah. else would give parents one more piece of advice here that you can add to this that can help build that relationship that will leave those doors of communication open between those generations? Yes, yes. So the first thing, we can't assume that our experience experience translates to theirs. Don't make Love assumptions. That. Don't make assumptions. Listen to what they're saying. And, and, and one of the things, I have a tool for that. So there's a tool. If your kid, if you invite your kid to puke, what comes out is not always going to be pleasant because that's the nature of what happens. So I tell prepare, parents, prepare yourself with a pen and a paper. And when they speak, when they write it down, you don't have to have an answer. And so they give you all this stuff. I feel confused. I don't know what to do. I, 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 I don't know what my purpose in life. My, these people hate me. I, I'm not doing well in school, blah, blah. There's all this stuff that they're worried about. Just get it down accurately. And you look them in the eye at the end and you say, wow, that's a lot. But I just want to tell you, I love you. And all of this stuff is your situation. And I care very much about your situation, but I just want to tell you, it's not who you are. I can see who you are. And I see past all of this stuff. And I know that, that God loves you even more than I do. And there's a plan for all this. So I'm going to be in this with you. We'll figure it out. I don't know the answer. I think I know the answer. And I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. I'll be with you in it. We'll figure it out. I but, I feel a confidence building in that child simply as I listen Dude. and reflect Dude. back in some way that I hear you and Dude. I feel with you and we'll try to get you through this together. So here's what I want to do. Uh, wow, this this time's oh, can I, can I say? Can I say one more thing? Okay, so you got this list. And, and even if you know you think you know the answer, you take your kid and say, hey, I, that's a big list. I got nine points on there, and they're all pretty much existential crises. But number three, that one, I'm pretty sure I don't know the answer to that one. I want to do something with you. Why don't you and I go to talk to this guy over here who I know to be an expert in that area? Here's where we're going to listen to the guy. And then on the ride home, we're going to talk about whether we believe what he said or not, whether it applies or not. So you model that you don't necessarily have to find the answer. You can evaluate other people's input. Just because somebody gives you input doesn't mean you have to adopt it. So you model for them. I don't, you, I'm dad. You think I got all the answers. I don't have the answer. I'm going to go for number three. I got, I got three guys that over there. They're all mature people, smarter than me. We're going to ask them one at a time. I'm going to take you with me. We're going to ask them and we're going to watch a couple of things. We're going to watch what is the answer they give us. Usually it will be an answer intention. It's not going to be a simple answer. And secondly, yep. you're going to see that they care about you. I, I like that idea. Let them know that you don't necessarily know, yes. but we can get an answer. I'll tell you yes. what, let's get ready to cut this off for a moment. With your permission, Vernon, we'll just make this a two-parter. Uh, awesome. Folks, we want to we start up episode or part two of this episode with Vernon Heinemann uh, with the 
with the question of bottom-up pastoring. We've been talking about bottom-up parenting, and then we're going to see about bottom-up addiction recovery. I don't know if you've got a plan for that, but I think that'll blend right in there. So listen. (laughs) Uh, thank you for this episode, your time. Folks, come back again next week for the second part of this. We look forward to it. and We need you here because we've got more to share and let you know how much we care and help you find the way to the top to becoming the you that God created you to be. Not the you we want you to be, but the you God created you to be. Yes. And we'll do our best to help you get there. God bless. Stay in the battle. You can do this. We've seen it. It happens. We're going to help make it happen. Bless you. Amen. Amen. Amen.